0: Hey there, I'm Jorge Olivares and welcome to another Hey Jorge Conversation and I'm really excited to talk to my next guest because... Listened to my work over the past few years, you know that I'm genuinely interested. I just love talking to comedians. Now, part of that is because of the truth telling that comes with comedy, right? You have people who come from these very diverse lived experiences, and they bring this knowledge of life that they have and use it to tell the truth about society, about culture, about all the things that are happening around them. Now, that's the case for my next guest, whose name is Corinda Dobbins. Now, Corinda has a brand new album out called Black and Blue. It's her debut album. And I feel like it's a perfect representation of the moment we're in right now, where comedy's at. I mean she mentions right at the top of her album that COVID is still an issue. And so I'm I'm curious about what it all means, right? What it means to be in this moment um, as humans, as comedians, and, and particularly what it's like to be Corinda in this moment, considering that this is such a huge moment of success for her as a queer comedian of color. And so excited to talk to Corinda, not only about her work, but about this journey to black and blue. Uh, so Corinda, thank you so much for joining me today. so much for having me. Well, I want to start off by talking about the title of the album. I'm somebody who really loves the intention behind titles. And so I I want to get some insight um, because I think it really does, it acts as a reflection piece on not only the person who created that title, um, but what we want people to expect because of it. So let's start there about why Black and Blue?
1: Well, it, it has a lot of layers to it, actually. The first reason I named my album, Black and Blue, it's really an homage to the cities that kind of built me. I'm originally from Detroit, but I started my comedy career in Oakland. And when I think about Oakland, one of the first things I think about is the Black Panthers and the Oakland Raiders with that iconic Black uh, symbol. Detroit, Motown, the blue background, it's a blue-collar town. Almost all the sports teams have blue in it. And then also just black and blue from what we've been going through with COVID. I feel like we all just kind of feel kind of beat up a little bit going through this pandemic. And also uh, black people in the police, black and blue. We've had a lot of... um, interactions and protests and, you know, during the time that I was curating this album and, and putting it together. So all of those things really culminated to me titling this album Black and Blue.
0: I love the the nuanced approach to, to it because it really can be taken in so many different directions. So let's start off with that first interpretation of the title when it comes to COVID and how it's left a lot of us struggling, feeling emotionally and physically battered. Um, so talk about how, sort of comedy aside, how you've been able to experience the past two years, either where you're currently based, how you've needed to travel in order to deal with uh, sort of life circumstances. How how have you been able to, to really appreciate what these two years have done for you?
1: I think one of the biggest things that COVID has taught me is that you know, you really need to have your life in order in order to survive <laughs> a pandemic. You know, your your home life, uh, your health care. <laughs> a lot of people were in situations where, you know, when you went into lockdown, they weren't necessarily in situations that were healthy for them, but they had to stay there. And also, a lot of people didn't have the kind of health care that you need to Uh, come out of this pandemic, you know, healthy and well, and that's another thing that I realized dealing with not only myself, but my family, my friends. A lot of people just don't have uh, the means and the opportunity to take care of themselves. So I think that's one of the things that hit home to me the most during this pandemic.
0: Let's kind of bring in the comedy part of it. When you when you try to figure out what your comedy looks like after having gone through all of that, and recognizing that your audience to a degree also dealt with the same thing, um, granted everybody's experience through COVID has been different in their own respective ways. But how did you approach going to the comedy club where you recorded this album and realizing that you were going to be around people who were also kind of navigating these really tough waters of what the past two years have been?
1: I think that was really the big question for most comics coming back out of the pandemic, right? Because most people don't necessarily want to hear an hour of COVID jokes, even though we've just been through it. It's also something that we're probably trying to escape. So I definitely wanted to talk about it, but I didn't want to make it a through line. You know, I definitely hit on it uh, at points uh, in the album because obviously we've experienced it together. Uh, but I also want it to be sort of a, an escape for the past two years of, of what we've been going through and just, you know, have 40 minutes of just people laughing.
0: You mentioned all the different interpretations of what Black and Blue means. And, and part of it is because of your experience as a Black American and, and where where the Black experience is at post-George Floyd, post-Black Lives Matters movements kind of rising up across the country, is it difficult to sort of enter spaces? I mean, you talk about, there's a joke about Portland uh, in the course of the album and how, you know, Portland is a little more white than most (laughs) other cities, major cities. Yeah. Talk about the the ability to be able to bring in those experiences as a black woman to the comedy that you that you provide your audiences, and why it's so important for you to be able to incorporate that in what you do. Yeah, I
1: think you know, no matter where I go, I want to bring my full self. If I'm in an audience that's mostly Caucasian, uh, like it was in Portland, and To be honest, a lot of times when I go to liberal cities that are that are all white, a lot of times, you know, they don't like to be challenged on their liberalism or, you know, what they perceive it to be. And Mm -hmm. I'm there to tell them what it actually is, (laughs) what my what my experience has been. So uh, I think as long as I I do it in a funny way, uh, they're receptive to it. But. You know, as comics, you know that's what we do. We're here to challenge your perceptions of yourself, especially being from a
0: marginalized group. When did you allow yourself to question that perception of yourself and and sort of take that as either the basis of your comedy or or just what you find funny?
1: I think I, I think I'm always challenging my perception of myself, you know, as a woman of color, as a, as a lesbian, as a, you know a black woman in tech, as a mom. Uh, there's so many opportunities for me to be like, okay, who am I really? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so who am I in this moment? Who do I need to be? And I always try to bring that to my comedy because that's really what comedy is, right? Sort of questioning things and trying to make sense of the
0: world. You are an actor, a writer, a comedian. You've been listed among the comedians that a lot of people should be out to, to watch. When, when you think about the accolades that come with that, with, with people being able to appreciate you for the art that you do, um, is that something that you were, were looking for? I, I think the the overall question I'm trying to get at is when you, when you pursue this comedy career and you pursue this thing that I, I'm assuming drives you both creatively and, and emotionally, what does it feel to get those reactions to, to your jokes, to your storytelling? Um, How does it make you feel emotionally to be able to to get that reception?
1: I think it's a great feeling because this is an art form, you know, and we work really hard at being able to put stories into a joke form where people can react to it. And when you get that reaction, I mean, there's really nothing like it. And that's why comedians keep doing what we do, even though, I mean, it's a, It's a tough road. I mean, it's not easy uh, being a a stand-up comic. So I think um, the best part for us is getting on stage and being able to tell our stories and being able to uh, communicate to an audience and have that immediate, direct connection. Like, that's the the thing that that keeps us going between the open mics and the flights and the the bad traveling (laughs) and the crappy motels and uh, food that probably isn't (laughs) that tasty. It's like, well, when we get on stage, like we're like that, that's our time. Like that's what we Mm -hmm. do all that stuff for to get to that.
0: Do you get nervous when you're on stage anymore? Did you ever get nervous? Sometimes I do. Sure.
1: I also get nervous because my memory is very bad. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like like I, I can tell you, like, I've been doing comedy for 12 years, and I've written a set probably before every time I've gone on stage, and it has never been recited the way it's written. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it just does not happen.
0: Does it throw you? Does it, Or does it kind of like, it keeps you on your toes in yeah, a very I, fun, exciting way?
1: I think it keeps me on my toes in an exciting way. Like, you, you have to, like, know how to just be nimble and navigate, even though, you know, it's never going to go the way you think it is.
0: When you think about having to put together a debut album, what went into the process of making it, I'm assuming you wanted it to be perfect. So what was the what was the thought process about having it where it was, doing the jokes that were going to be featured in it? Take me along through that ride just so we could see kind of what, what brought us to Black and Blue. I kind
1: of liken it to a musician in their first album, right? It's like what mm-hmm. songs are going to make the cut because obviously I have a lot of jokes that didn't make it on to black and blue for various reasons. I just wanted to have a flow and I felt like the jokes that made it uh, had a flow and uh, also I just eliminated some jokes. <laughs> I normally do a lot of <laughs> like political you know, jokes, but I was just so spent, I think, from the last two years of watching CNN and MSNBC. I mean, I was just literally tired of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I a lot of those didn't make it in. I just wanted to be happy. And a lot of those jokes, even though they're funny, like, I don't know if I want to hear them over and over and over again and think about those people that I was joking about. It's like, I don't want to talk about you.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Like it, because I mean, I would, and I don't mean to project too much, but if, if it were my debut album, I'd probably be listening to it religiously to like savor the moment of being able to have it and to have those jokes surface where you're like, "Ugh, I, mm, this was so two years ago when I was in a really different place in my life and it's time to move on. So I definitely see the, the purpose of not incorporating that into something that is always going to be your first. Right, right.
1: I definitely, like I said, I definitely wanted to touch on COVID because I feel like that's a touchstone moment for all of us. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted—we you know we're all in this together—but you know, certain jokes that I've done about politics and policies, and um, I just felt like maybe my debut album wasn't wasn't the the place for that. And certainly, maybe my second album—I may get back to it when I feel like you know we're in a better place. In this country, and maybe you know, I'm feeling like the burden is kind of, kind of off, and I can be a little more fancy free with it. But I feel like, you know, those jokes were kind of heavy for me, uh, mm-hmm. even though I I had done them for a while. I just feel like I don't want to talk about these people. I want them to go away, and I want them <laughs> to go hide. I feel like a, a lot rock. of people
0: will agree with that. Yeah. What did, did you, as as a fellow queer person of color? knowing just how difficult the last several years were under that particular political administration did you find it difficult to laugh did you find it difficult to to make jokes that weren't tied to something that really was heart wrenching and heart-wrecking for a lot of us i did i did sometimes i found it difficult to get out of bed in the morning
1: you know i'm like oh my god what did he tweet this time it's like mm-hmm. every day that I thought that something couldn't get worse, it was getting worse. And so it was difficult for me to write about that. And so I just needed to take care of me and my family and my space before I could even sort of broach, you know, the kind of topics that I wanted to to talk about. And obviously I did do some jokes about, um, you know, that administration and the situations. And But I tell you, he made it hard for comics because, I mean, he was just... A joke. It's kind of hard to make a joke about <laughs> someone who is a joke. So I, I, it, mm-hmm. was, it was
0: kind of hard to write material on that that guy. So to kind of bring things, tie a little bow on this particular story about politics, it's interesting that, you know, we think about this particular new administration. We have our, our first black female vice president who hails from Oakland, that is where Black and Blue was recorded. Uh, so talk about, you know, we were, we were talking about the process of, of what made Black and Blue what it was. Why there? Why did you choose to, to perform your routine there and record the album there?
1: Well, I always knew that I, I, my very first choice was to record my first album in, in the Bay Area. That's where my comedy career started. I started at an open mic in Oakland, Woody's Cafe. So, I mean, it's very near and dear to my heart. And, uh, you know, I recorded it with my good friend, Daya. We both recorded our albums the same night. And there were just a lot of black and brown people in San Francisco that, you know, you don't really see that anymore. And we had them all there in one place. And that was special for us mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. You know, there used to be a very large black and brown uh population in San Francisco and most of those people have been gentrified and I talk about that on the album as well um, so even through my comedy career you know the audiences have changed you know over a decade of when I first started
0: um, so in what of, particular way what have you what have you noticed just kind of looking out and who's looking back at you
1: uh, when I first started you know there's a, there was just a mix of people uh, in San Francisco and now it's very kind of tech broy. Uh, audiences and not many people of color. So I see the gentrification in real time in my shows over the
0: years. How does that change your joke writing process, knowing that if if you go to a particular space and that audience has changed, how does that impact what you write and how you deliver it? I think I just
1: talk about my experience and how that has changed how I operate in that city. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the jokes is that I I don't see black people in San Francisco anymore. (laughs) And, you know, there's a joke about that. And, um, you know, I definitely have to address it. I mean, I feel like I wouldn't be a a black comedian if I didn't address the fact that, you know, I used to have a joke. It's like in my, in my, like my writer, it's like, if you don't have two people black people in the audience, like I'm not performing like yeah, that's like, that's the bare mm. minimum.
0: <laughs> I mean, cause it, it's a matter I'm assuming when you're in a vulnerable space on stage, trying to create that space to also be safe, like having at least another person that you can identify with granted. Yes. Everybody who's, um, of a similar lived experience won't have that many more similarities, but just even seeing that one commonality could be beneficial. I'm assuming.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's a certain comfort that you have when you see, you know, people who are like you. I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of people choose to, there's, that's why there's a Chinatown and there's, you know, mm-hmm. in every city, there's a, there's a areas where like people like to live around each other. There's the comfort and there's a you know, there's a reason why people like to do that. So obviously when I show up at comedy shows, I I love to see, you know, people of color in the audience. I, I want to have a sort of uh, an experience with them because some jokes, you know, it's 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 easier if I don't have to explain it so much. You know, if they're there, mm. they're going to get it. Like, I don't have to do a whole lot of anything. It's like, as soon as I say it, like they're on board you know if it's an all-white audience I have to do a little more um, Educate. yeah this is this and this is that and you know for people of color I don't have to do that it's like we we're, we're with you we got it we we already know
0: I I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit before about sort of outlining all the different uh I guess identifiers that you have and one you said uh, you're a black woman in tech and kind of Talking about how, especially in the Bay Area, the San Francisco area, it is very white bro techie. When you think about sharing that space, that tech space, like, do colleagues know that you do comedy? Or is that sort of like your little secret on the side um, <laughs> to kind of uh, make sure that it is uh, something that's a little bit different from, from what you do professionally um, for that space?
1: The longer I did it, it was harder and harder to keep it a secret. Um, because people from work would be at my shows not knowing that I was on the show. Mm. And they would come to work and tell people like, oh, did you know that Corinda did stand-up comedy? And of course, we would be like, oh, absolutely not. We didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the longer I did it, you know, it was sort of a, the worst kept secret uh, at, at work. And I, and of course, I had jokes about being in, in biotech because there are a lot of microaggressions that I experienced uh, in tech. And of course, I wanted to share those with people. So, um, and I think it probably got back to like, oh, doesn't she do some jokes about work? Yeah, she does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Better go check about out so you can see what she says. Yeah. What is it about um, sort of another identifier that you brought up was, was being a mom. What about motherhood sort of informs how you go about joke writing?
1: I got to tell you when, when my daughter was in her teenage years, uh, being a comic was so therapeutic for me. I don't know if I would have made it without, (laughs) without that. Like I couldn't afford uh, probably I couldn't afford therapy. So that was, that was my spot. That was my jam. And my daughter, initially wasn't really that thrilled about me talking about her escapades on stage, but <laughs> I told her, I was like, you, you're really lucky that I get to talk about it on stage because I, I get to let it go. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we can move on from there.
0: And <laughs> yeah, she kind of turned around to Yeah, she, of-
1: she, she turned around to it. Now she's like, oh, my mom talks about me in her act. And now our friends come to my shows and she's really excited about it.
0: When you got a chance to listen to... Black and Blue, the debut album in its entirety, mixed score, whatever, you know, everything that goes into having the final product. What was the first thing you thought of? I was
1: like, thank God we had a small window to get this album done <laughs> because oh. this album was supposed to be done, supposed to be done out. I mean, a, a year and a half ago. And... The variants, Life happened. The variants took <laughs> the variants over came. and we didn't do it. And, you know, Delta was kind of trailing off and we recorded this before Omicron really took off. And so we had that little sweet spot to to do it. And when I listened to it, I was just like really, really excited that we got an opportunity to have people in a building safely distanced, masked, laughing, and experiencing this laughter with each other and got it recorded. I was just really, really
0: happy about it. Now that the album's out into the world, what's the next thing? What's the, as you're climbing the mountain of success, what do you, what do you want the next summit to be?
1: Obviously I want to get out and tour and support the album. That was the original plan. Of course we don't know what the next wave of covid is going to do but over the summer that that would be the next step in in getting out and letting people see me live and then hopefully you know we can get started on the next album but yeah that that's that's the next plan to to get out and and tour and and go hit some cities.
0: You mentioned that it again black and blue was recorded in Oakland that's where you started your career. You said you did uh, an open mic night at Woody's. I believe you said
1: mm-hmm. it was actually recorded in San Francisco at, at the Punchline, but it's Oakland
0: adjacent. It is like it's all it's all the same. Just thing. Just crossing a bridge, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Close enough. When you think when you think about that that night, do you remember much about that first night at Woody's?
1: Oh yeah, I remember everything. Everything. You know, I showed up and I I, I signed up. And I was the only comic to sign up for an open mic. And if you know anything about comedy, that never happens. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's just, it's unheard of. I mean, it's like a unicorn. Mm -hmm. And so I was the only comic to perform that night. So I did like eight to 10 minutes my first night. Usually, I think you probably do two to five minutes your first time up. And I had some people there, but there were also a lot of people that I didn't know. And people seemed to be receptive to my performance. I was like, Hey, you know, let's, let's keep this rolling. Actually, the guy who was hosting the mic, he he said he couldn't believe that that was my first time doing comedy. So that was really uh, heartening. Talk about words of
0: encouragement.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, Hey, let's keep this rolling. Let's, let's see where I can go with this.
0: Are there things about the Corinda from 12 years ago at that Woody's that you still see on stage? Like this, the stage you were on Performing the black and blue album material did you did you see her? Did you feel her? when it be there with you? I did. I
1: did. And you know she still has the love for stand-up comedy. like that was the moment where I realized that I loved it. And so to see the culmination twelve years later, to still have that love for it and to still be as excited to do it and to still be loving, making people laugh that she, she's, she's still
0: there. Well, a reminder to our listeners that you can stream the debut album again, it's called black and blue, wherever you listen to your content. Um, Corinda, how can people learn more about the stuff that you're doing, follow your work and should you get a chance to go on tour where they can find more information about that?
1: They can go to my website, corindadobbins.com. Everything that I'm doing is there. Uh, they can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Everything is just my name. I didn't get fancy with it. I didn't try to... <laughs> I know a lot of comments Hey, do, it helps with the branding. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's consistent. It's just Corinda Dobbins everywhere.
0: Wonderful. Well, Corinda, thank you so much for joining me and for for bringing your art to the world in this, in this way. I'm very appreciative of it.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, and I hope that I can see all the people very soon on stage. Um, wherever you are, hopefully you'll come see me if I if I come near your city.